Welcome to Joey's Conversations. Today's conversation is with Joe Bolin. He's the Chief Scientific Officer of PureTech Health, where I serve as board chair. Today's conversation is about chronic disease. Joe has some really interesting insights about how we've been trying to understand and treat chronic disease and how some of those approaches may be really wrong and some great ideas about how we might approach them in the future. Hi, Joe. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Um, so Joe and I, to just to disclose a professional and financial relationship, um, I'm the chair of a company called PureTech Health, and Joe's the chief scientist there. And uh, we had a really interesting conversation about the... Uh, sort of human body about how we're thinking about uh, chronic disease. And I hope that, Joe, you could share that with us. But maybe you could start um, by telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, first off, this is, this is a lot of fun. It's a new experience. <laughs> um, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm having fun with this. Uh, so I've been at PureTech for uh, about uh, nine or ten months. Mm -hmm. um, and um, there... I, I work with a combination of the kind of the young scientists and entrepreneurs, um, basically trying to help them navigate uh, the complexities of, of biology. I always remind people that there are no child prodigies in biology. Uh -huh. uh, it's it's uh, gained through um, experience over time, and um, you know, to my background, I got my PhD forty years ago. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine in 1977 what biology was and um, the last 40 years, I mean, how incredible yeah. has it been? So, but also at PureTech, then I also help out with uh, the more established enterprises and things mm -hmm. like that. Again, it's, this is mostly on the science, uh, on the science side. Prior to PureTech, I uh, was the president of R&D and Chief Scientific Officer at Moderna Therapeutics, mm -hmm. the messenger RNA uh, company. And um, for most of the 15 years before that, I was at Millennium Pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. when, it, as we started as a genomics company and then mm -hmm. and went on. Um, the last uh, eight of those years, I was Chief Scientific Officer um, there. And when we were acquired by Takeda, mm -hmm. uh, then I became global head of mm -hmm. oncology research for Takeda. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd spent, you know, uh, time in other organizations prior to that. Um, uh, DNAX mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. was a research institute that uh, Arthur Kornberg and Paul mm -hmm. Berg started in, uh, in Palo Alto. So I was out there as Immunology Research Institute. Mm -hmm. My first industry job, uh, which was largely by accident, but uh, Nevertheless, it turned out to be the first job I had in industry. Was with Bristol Myers Squibb mm -hmm. um, in the early '90s. Mm -hmm. So that's where I first learned uh, drug discovery, and mm -hmm. most of the work I do I've done in uh, the industry has been associated with oncology and immunology. In my academic work, prior to going to Bristol Myers Squibb. Uh, I was at the uh, National Cancer Institute for, mm -hmm. for 10 years. But to poke on that assertion about that there, uh, you know, the biology has been a, it's a deep field, but as you said, I mean, everything has changed a lot, and there have been a lot of yes. theories that we've all believed in and then turned out to be completely wrong. So there must be a benefit to uh, also not being so st stuck in your ways that you're not able to think about new things, right? I mean, oh, I completely agree. I mean, I, you know, I was, I've been 
in interviews and things like that, asked what I look for when I hire scientists. Um, and um, I've hired a few over the years. Uh, mm -hmm. And my answer is irreverence. Mm -hmm. I look for irreverence, appropriate mm -hmm. irreverence. Question the authority. Question everything. Mm -hmm. Question everything. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it just stays the same. Right, right, right. So, uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, that must be the hard part is what is it from 40 years ago that you that's still useful versus what is it that you should be questioning, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I think that sort of leads into the topic that you had. So, so cause, cause you're, you're talking about, um, um, chronic disease right. and all of our sort of attempts to solve them. Right. And, and I think you had, you made an assertion the other day that we're kind of, most of us are thinking about it all wrong. I mean, do you, do you want to describe sure. how, what's the predominant way we're thinking about it and, and, and sort of why it's wrong? Well, so this is um, having the opportunity at PureTech then to start thinking about chronic mm -hmm. disease is something I never really gave much thought to. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're studying cancer, you study cancer and having the opportunity to think about it in, in a more broader context. So uh, it goes something like this that, um, and we can go through some of the more details of this, but uh, you know, I was, I am a person um, of the molecular age. I was born the year that uh, Watson and Crick published the structure of DNA. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and certainly my training um, as was my contemporaries is this fundamental, absolute fundamental belief in, in genetics and genomics, which is of course tr true and, and stays true. But um, explaining biology uh, through that link, uh, of course, is, is the, the, the mainstay of, of, of biology. And um, with that, I think that as a generation, we wish to define then disease mm -hmm. in terms of genetics and genomics and things like that. Mm -hmm. And for a number of things, that has worked out very well. Mm -hmm. uh, monogenic diseases, of course, so, so just, things like just, that. Just to drill down on that one piece for a second. So, so the, the, there was sort of the discovery of genetics leading to everyone thinking we can solve everything and that genetics explained everything to more like, like and, and we have sort of a mixed audience, so we'll have mm -hmm. to define some of these terms, oh. but like, but like, like epigenetics, which is which genes express and how they express. And I remember, I mean, this one thing I remember when, when my father, when I was growing up, he, he somehow believed that um, parents could s pass traits down to their children. Hmm. And I said, well, no, I just learned in school that absolutely <laughs> is not true. And, and now we have science that shows that certain traits beyond just the genes could be passed on to your children. And so within just one academic generation, right. we've gone from you know, one belief system to an absolute belief to now sort of squiggling back. And, and, and you're sort of talking about genomics in addition to just understanding how to, how it defines what you, who you are. Mm -hmm. You're saying also that the sort of application of genomics on chronic disease. And I think some people won't even know that that's been one of our major, uh, uh, thrusts of research. So, so can exactly. you explain how genomics is used currently sure. to think about chronic disease? Well, <clears throat> um, first and foremost, I mean, uh, now that sequencing uh, the genome is a straightforward endeavor, mm -hmm. um, 
It was... Um, and, and just, just again, to go back, it was like 2003, it was the first time it was several billion dollars. Yes. And now it's about a thousand dollars, right? Something so, in that so, so range. So it's gone it's, down to nearly nothing from where it was. Exactly. So um, the kinds of studies that, that people did, um, whether it was, you know, uh, after sequencing or before sequencing, whatever, uh, the, the approach was to associate risk factors with gene variants. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. Um, and again, some diseases that so th really So this is out. like if you have these gene mutations, you're more likely to get pneumonia. Therefore, we're going to use this drug to go after that. Is that... Well, if you have, uh, if you are unfortunately passed along, um, a gene that makes a dysfunctional enzyme in like the urea see, cycle see, or something like that, you have a big problem. Right, so you okay? need to augment that and that'll... So that's monogenic diseases yeah. where the, uh, you know, the mutation, if you will, in one gene has a very clear phenotypic effect and manifests itself in disease. Once you move past that mm -hmm. into, again, this, this realm of chronic disease, yeah. and let's be clear, Chronic disease is the major unmet medical yeah. so need. So, why don't you define have. chronic disease? Okay, so chronic disease, uh, everybody knows what they are, and uh, I think it's it's interesting when you kind of think about listing these things out. So, chronic disease spans the globe from um, uh, multiple sclerosis, um, cardiovascular, heart disease, um, things like this, um, to Alzheimer's. Parkinson's, even cancer, is, mm -hmm. is a chronic disease, if you will. Um, and when you take and kind of bucket all these together, um, the impact on medicine and society is, uh, is staggering. Um, one, well, let's say 50% of, of people, okay, people in the United States have at least one chronic disease. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about what the cost is, if you want to put it in those terms, um, for public health, uh, as it turns out that for Medicare, mm -hmm. chronic diseases represents 99% of the budget. Mm -hmm. And for Medicaid, the state, mm -hmm. it's like 83 or 84. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's the biggest portion yeah. of what we spend on. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's, that's chronic disease. That's the, the nature of it. And, of course, many chronic diseases, not all, but many, uh, are associated with age. The older you get, the mm -hmm. higher risk you have, right? right? So what the, um, the job of the biomedical um, network is uh, that, uh, that we're all a part of, the idea is how do we define risk, right? Mm -hmm. Because by defining risk, the idea is that you can then potentially intercede earlier and, again, steer the course of that disease mm -hmm. in a better direction. When you think about things that are very obvious to most people out there, um, what would be uh, an obvious type of disease that uh, you could think about? Obesity. Obesity leading to type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, the explosion, it seems, um, of obesity uh, in the United States and other mm -hmm. you know, Western European countries um, is staggering. It, it truly is. Um, 
matter of fact, I read just recently that, that for type 2 diabetes, there is, a, there is a limb amputation once every 30 seconds hmm. because of this. That's mm -hmm. the impact. Okay? So the question is, why do we get chronic disease? Why? Mm -hmm. why, do, why is this happening? And that's what I started to think about is that uh, what, why can't our systems take care of this stuff? It, right. You know, it's just another thing coming along. Why can't we, right, uh, right. why is it so impactful for us? Um, and that's where it, it got interesting right. for me because there really weren't, that See, seemed like I think, a lot you know, of answers. Some people would argue that obesity itself is a, a disease. It's that you're, I mean, I, I'm just making an argument. Sure. And some people say, well, it's the sugar lobby and it's people who, <laughs> it's because you eat too much. And, 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 and you know, and, and I think that, that, that um, the idea that you would design a pill to cure obesity, um, for some people, I think, you know, I, I, it, because I think that would be a slightly different category than, say, cancer. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think it's also just maybe to make it clear to the people, you know, there's different places you might intervene, right? Yes. Because one is prevention. And one is sort of mitigating once you sort of detect it. And then later, they're sort of treating the symptoms of it. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, in, in the past, we've mostly been treating symptoms. Yeah. Now we're starting to use things like genomics to try to figure out, like, the missing enzyme or the missing uh, uh, piece that we might be able to replace so that the problem doesn't occur. Mm -hmm. And then and then there's sort of the, the symptom. And then and I think the other thing, probably just, again, for people who who, who haven't, been working in this space is a lot of diseases get clustered as the same disease because they have the same symptoms, mm -hmm. but they're actually different things. <clears throat> it's kind of like you might call something diabetes when now we know there's type one, type two, and, and, and that yeah. the reason you get something that looks the same doesn't ma makes it a very different thing. And we're just, so, so just because we have a lot of drugs that work, but we don't know why they work as well. So that's, I think, that's another true. thing that I discovered joining the industry was just because you don't understand how it works doesn't mean you can't release it as a drug. <laughs> and so, 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 so there's a That's lot of like true. science catching up to practice. Right. Um, but I think trying to understand the underlying science is really important in both making the drugs more efficient, but also in trying to solve for the system because you don't want to, you know, fix one thing and then cause another, sure. right? So, so in this, then that's that's an interesting way to think about it because in this really from, again, from the historic approach that we've had is that, again, genetics must be playing a, a major role. Mm -hmm. So the learning then over the past, uh, you know, 20 years or so is that certainly genetics are important, but the hope of finding a gene or two genes that somehow now make you more uh, at risk for X, Y, or Z mm -hmm. Turns out not to be the case. These genome-wide association studies, mm -hmm. when you look at how much they tilt uh, an individual or a group towards a disease, uh, it's a minor fraction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, uh, for any kind of complex trait mm -hmm. that ha people have, mm -hmm. um, the actual impact and contribution is spread across the entire genome. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's one piece of it. There's not one dominant thing. There's a lot of little things happening. So, so to summarize that, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, and, and we don't yet get, have the level of understanding of the genome to be able to, because we've been looking for single mutations sort of, and, and there are some, you would say there's low hanging fruit that's right. But, but broadly speaking, the things that we would need to know in order to apply genomics to uh, drug discovery and things like that, at least for now, we haven't been able to parse. 
Well, exactly, because it is that complicated. And think, think of, uh, again, a complex trait, height. Mm-hmm. Well, is there a height gene or whatever? No, not really. There's a contribution of... So if, if you think that for mm-hmm. just the height, mm-hmm. then think about the susceptibility to obesity or, or this, that, or the other type of disease. Mm-hmm. It's basically the same. Mm-hmm. So that's one piece of it. But again, from the historic uh, perspective... What were we looking for? Mm-hmm. Genes that encode proteins, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It turns out that's 1.5% of the genome. Mm-hmm. The rest of the genome encodes uh, RNAs mm-hmm. that do other things than make proteins. And mm-hmm. for that, we have uh, very little information. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of hope that that will uh, uh, get us much further. But irrespective of all that, the other piece that becomes uh, very, very clear uh, is the impact of environment mm-hmm. on health. Mm-hmm. And there are those that say that uh, genetics is a minor thing, and it's really the, the environment mm-hmm. that is causing uh, all these diseases, if you will. And there's, there's lots of uh, identical twin studies mm-hmm. that you say if twin one gets Alzheimer's, what just happens with mm-hmm. twin two? And when you look at it, uh, at least at face value, based mm-hmm. upon the level of genetics and mm-hmm. genomics mm-hmm. understanding we have, one finds out that just saying yes or no, do you have it or not? Um, I think Alzheimer's is something in, in the range of about 40% or so. So what's the 40%? The 40% the, is So one twin has it, the other twin will have it. I mean, sixty percent oh, of the, the time it and, doesn't and, happen. And, and these are even twins that are brought up in the same yes. uh, household. Yeah. So, so the genetic contribution is is almost random. <laughs> yes, and, and uh, you know, in terms of what's the highest correlation, it's really interesting. It's asthma, and, yeah, the, yeah. and that number is approaching fifty percent. Oh, really? But that's it. That's interesting. Huh? When you start going to other diseases, many of the cancers, yeah, the numbers drop to single digits. I see. Interesting. It's, that's, that's so that's the environmental yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's out there, and of course. Clearly, what really going on there? It's a combination yeah. of things. Well, well, and, but just but then thinking about the environment. If you have two kids, same genes, forty percent correlation on Alzheimer's, but they're in the same environment. So, so then that becomes quite curious because what is it in the environment uh, if they're being brought up in the same home that's different? Yes. So therein lies the the the, the interesting um, way to think about this. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, and I guess one place to start, uh, maybe a little bit of an explanation yeah. of why we just can't handle whatever modern life is that, mm-hmm. and just deal with it. You know, what's, what's our problem, basically? Mm-hmm. And the answer is actually quite simple. Um, a little disturbing, you know, kind of a bit of a bummer. Um, <laughs> and it goes, it goes like this, that, you know, humans... As a have been on Earth, you know, maybe two and a half million years or something like mm-hmm. that. Homo sapiens have been around for a hundred thousand years or so. Mm-hmm. Okay, and for that two and a half million years to about ten thousand years ago, mm-hmm. everybody was a hunter and gatherer, right? Mm-hmm. Omnivorous, eating lots of different right. things, doing you know, um, and about and about three thousand years ago. We developed agriculture, okay? Mm-hmm. 
which meant that we domesticated you know, a few plants, a few cereals, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the diet went from being that to just the cereals. And the other thing we did is started moving together and then we domesticated animals and da 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 da. Now, we fast forward then, um, we say, okay, how are we today different than that group 3,000 years ago or 100,000 years ago? From a genomic standpoint, we're identical, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay? So then what about evolutionary pressure and things like mm -hmm. that? What does that take into account and what does it do? Well, what you get programmed to do is to solve common repetitive problems over time. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's what we're wired for. And in the context of physiology, um, that is basically defined as homeostatic mechanisms. Mm -hmm. The usual stuff that goes wrong, we have a mechanism that kind of puts it back together and we're okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if you move to the last 100 years and certainly mm -hmm. the last 50 years, mm -hmm. all of a sudden we as a species are faced with an environment where uh, we have unlimited access to highly caloric foods mm -hmm. that are very palatable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, these drastic changes like that, or the fact that uh, we have now access to chemicals mm -hmm. that activate our dopam dopamine mm -hmm. uh, release in uh, nuclear accumbens, basically, um, that powerfully do this, um, of course, we wind up with addictive right. drugs. Um, the unrelenting kind of uh, psychosocial pressure of big cities mm -hmm. and things like that leads to depression, etc. In Yuval Harari's book, he, he describes the life of a hunter-gatherer too. They had more free time, and you know, it's it's. I mean, we have become domesticated. You know, yeah. <laughs> we're sort of enslaved. But anyway, keep going. No, no, no. So, so if you think about it, then. Um, Evol you know, evolution has helped us in these homeostatic things. It has not at all prepared us for the environment, the challenges mm -hmm. that we're facing today that leads to these chronic diseases. Yeah. That response, um, you know, physiologically is called allostasis. Mm -hmm. So that are, what are the systems that we have that are kind of meant to respond to rapid changes? Mm -hmm. uh, again, most of our systems, if you think about it, they can respond, but they're programmed, hardwired, and they have a range of things that they can do. Yeah. And as it turns out, we only have, we have two systems that were, if you will accept this, I mean, just the idea of, that were engineered to be adaptable mm -hmm. and adaptable in really unique ways. Mm -hmm. and that's the nervous system yep. and the immune system, mm -hmm. okay? So we're now relying uh, as, as, human, uh, as humans, on reacting to change through adaptive systems. Um, and what happens, this allostasis basically just pinpoints and, and describes the frailty mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of these allostatic systems that they overshoot, they undershoot, mm -hmm. uh, and you wind up with the disease. So if we roll back to uh, chronic disease. Now, as it turns out in terms of numbers of people, uh, cardiovascular disease and things like that certainly represent the biggest population. But by indication, 
if you go through the list, mm -hmm. most chronic diseases are either diseases of the nervous system mm -hmm. or the immune system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, these allosteric mechanisms that um, you know have the ability to actually generate new biology. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're untemplated. They're mm -hmm. you know they can do a lot of things, but. They overshoot, they undershoot, we get autoimmunity, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, in other words, evolution can't help us. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. really helping us mm -hmm. in today's environment. So again, what can we do as the biomedical community? Right. We looked at genomics, mm -hmm. okay? And, 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 and you could argue that the, the, the nervous system, the brain, let's just call it, um, and our immune system are the two things where the genomics have given the freedom to adapt to the environment right. and it allows human society, for instance, to evolve faster than the genomics. So those are sort of the, in a sense, the part that's, that's been designed to be open-ended at some level, right? Exactly. So now if we think about this uh, proportion of quote-unquote environment yeah. um, and what that means, well, think of it, I mean, the best example clearly is the immune system, because when it comes to the adaptive immune system, yeah. making antibodies and cellular responses and things like that, it's engineered to um, be free of inherited genomics in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it shuffles things right. around, it makes new things, it's, it's intended to be that way. You, and, and of course, the cells of the immune system are very mobile mm -hmm. and they're, they're everywhere. You might think that a little bit about the nervous system too, but you need to re remember that the nervous system comes in two flavors, central nervous system and enteric nervous system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, but even for the central nervous system, now you've got kind of a, a fixed thing there, at mm -hmm. least by your mid twenties, everything mm -hmm. is presumably mm -hmm. set. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, uh, the actual anatomy mm -hmm. of the central nervous system, um, it doesn't necessarily reflect the function. The function mm -hmm. is circuitry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what the brain can do is change its circuitry mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In, in incredible ways. Okay. Right. So, 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 okay, so I get, I get, so just to re, re play back what you said, but maybe in a slightly different way. So, so you've got, so we've got a huge change in our environment, uh, which, you know, could explain the cause of these problems. And then the two systems that we had that were sort of designed for flexibility have kind of reached their limits of their ability to flex into the system. So the kinds of things that the immune system can react to appropriately, mm -hmm. the kinds of things our, our, our nervous system can react to appropriately, including long life, right? right. Um, and so now they're reacting inappropriately and causing these chronic diseases. Yeah. And so then the solution is what? Ah, so this is, <laughs> and I wish I really had the solution, but, um, it, it, first off, uh, one more, one more piece. And mm -hmm. I think this is, this is, uh, important because the environment and sampling the environment, uh, is basically sensory. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so obviously your immune system and mm -hmm. nervous system are very involved in that, but we have one more, uh, piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. in terms of how we, uh, interact and sample the environment. And that is what we eat. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you think of it, your GI tract mm -hmm. is basically still the outside of the body. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. And uh, as it turns out, the vast majority of your immune system is mm -hmm. actually lining mm -hmm. 
your GI tract. Mm -hmm. okay? And you could argue that the microbes in your GI are also part of your system, right? Well, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Um, we're, not, we're not alone yeah, yeah. <laughs> from that standpoint. But as it turns out, then we have this enteric nervous system, which is you know, intimately associated with the immune system in the gut. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, so that's and, like the vagus nerve and all, all those And all the rest, yes. Yeah. Vagus nerve and then the enteric system, which is actually a bit separate yeah. from that. But the, the, the new biology that's coming out is the incredible dialogue, if you will, between those two systems. Some people argue that you think of the nervous system, immune system, they say, no, it's, it's not two systems, it's one system, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay? Because over the you know, past and, few and, years... And, and I, I heard a, a hypothesis, and i just love to hear if you think it's true, because there are a lot of our neurotransmitters that we use for our brain to communicate it with itself, you find in the gut, and somebody, I can't remember who, at a conference was hypothesizing that maybe the microbes were using it first, and we adapted some of their chemicals to communicate in our nervous system, um, and that it's really been a symbiotic evolution between these microbes talking to each other. And in a way, we might just be a life support system for the the, 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 the gut biome. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're the macrobiome. Yeah, we're like the microbiome. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And the bridge is down here. <laughs> well, so the first part of that absolutely is true, and this is this is where a lot of insight has come. Because the neurotransmitters mm -hmm. used in the immune system and the nervous system turn out to be similar and the same, quite frankly. Yeah. I think in the, in the last couple of years, uh, the actual uh, dependence of nervous system on immune and vice versa has really started to be uh, explored. Let me just give you one example. Okay? And it's talking about vagus. Okay? Yeah. So, uh, vagus nerve, basically, if you have inflammation, the pro-inflammatory cytokines send a signal back up to the brain, and after a while, signal comes back down. It comes back down, and the uh, nerve that uh, runs from the spine goes to the spleen, mm -hmm. where a lot of the uh, inflammatory action is, if you will. And so, and people understood this, and all, it's all fine, except for one thing. That nerve that goes to the spleen doesn't send the right signal. It, it, it sends a uh, uh, norepinephrine signal. But we know that the anti-inflammatory signal is cholinergic, okay? Mm -hmm. We need acetylcholine. So the insight was published in the last year. It's fa fantastic. As it turns out, as the nerve comes in from the, the spine, there's a group of T cells mm -hmm. that sit in the spleen. They, they are positive for the beta-adrenergic receptor. Mm -hmm. The norepinephrine binds to that, activates the T-cells. Mm -hmm. The T-cells get activated, and then they release acetylcholine oh, to the macrophages. So in this system, a T-cell is acting as an interneuron. And, and why would the T-cell be there? Why, why have that? I mean, I, 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 know that, I know that the body doesn't design things just for efficiency, but why, why, would, you have, why would you not allow that to be a direct... Okay, so I'll pass along something that it was one of the really guiding, guiding things in my life. I had the great, great privilege of um, knowing Sidney Brenner um, and, um, and having lots of discussions with him. And the take-home message that I've always tried to pass along from Sidney is that he said, always look for the gadget. 
Okay. And it's like, what does that mean? Well, it goes something like this. If you have a receptor and you add a ligand, okay, and there's probably 15 or 20 things that happen, mm -hmm. okay, but in the end, a calcium channel opens. Mm -hmm. That's the gadget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the gadget. So in this case, like that, the gadget is acetylcholine gets mm -hmm. deposited mm -hmm. in a certain place uh, because it maybe needed a cell type that could interact with the macrophages and things like that. Okay, so, so the T cell is convenient for that it worked. pathway. Yeah. So in other words, in this this uh, again, not a unique thought to me. I stole this from Phil Sharp. Um, basically, it says that it just has to work and withstand evolutionary pressure. It doesn't yeah. matter how many how, steps. I see. Oh, that's really fascinating. So, but but so so this whole kind of field of what we used to call placebos, the idea that <laughs> our mind affects our body. Um, and, and, you know, I work with uh, Tenzin Priyadarshi on meditation and the effects of meditation. So, so this actually would add a tremendous amount of science to understanding how these things might happen because the way that the nervous system and the immune system mm -hmm. interact. That, exactly. That be true? Well, yeah. in, in, and, and, with, and conversely, how, how that might affect your brain, right? Absolutely. So again, in animal studies, as it turns out, and we're going to get back to the microbiome, yeah. in germ-free mice, mm -hmm. apparently these mice have no ability for spatial memory. Mm -hmm. But if you take, you either put a microbiome back or you take T cells from a, a regular mouse and you just put the T cells back. Interesting. So, so, so what we were calling the immune system may actually be more than an immune system. It could be a whole system that does all kinds of things, including going after pathological microbes. Exactly. And uh, again, it's, it's the microbiome, mm -hmm. you know, this, this place where everything kind of meets, that again is playing a rather major role in, mm -hmm. in so much of, of what mm -hmm. goes on. Uh, and why? Because it was always there. Yeah. It was something that well, was, was useful there first. And it, and, 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 yeah, and it works. We came from it. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's really a very new day in thinking about this. Yeah. So to me then, what's important about all this then, it says, okay, most, let's, let's take one more thing. Mm -hmm. So like the CDC would, would tell you that for obesity, for uh, heart disease and whatever, if you... Uh, get a better diet, you exercise and stop smoking, that, you know, maybe 80% is their number um, of heart disease, uh, type 2 diabetes, and maybe 30 40% of cancer would be taken care of. And again, that's, that's wonderful if you could only get people to do it. But what it fails to take into account is what I said earlier, is it turns out most chronic diseases are either nervous system or immune system. So if you have lupus, mm -hmm. I don't really know. I'm, sh I'm sure exercise is always good and diet mm -hmm. is always good, but it's not going to uh, uh, correct your autoimmune disease, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. So that's the other piece that we have to uh, right. place into this. The fact that uh, we have this nervous system, immune system, and, and again, all the things that they uh, sample and, 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 and do, what it really means to me in, in, in thinking about chronic disease is first off, 
let's figure out what the risks really are. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out what is genetic and genomic that we can, mm -hmm. can look at and measure. But importantly, maybe thinking a little bit more about the environment and how we be measuring mm -hmm. that and trying to figure out what the, the impact and influences are. Um, and then hopefully we can see this intercede earlier mm -hmm. to affect some course change. But in that, I guess my, what I would challenge people to think about is what would the medicine be that you would use at an earlier yeah. point? So, 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 so to me, that, that there's two questions that, that you just triggered in my head. So, so one is when you said measure the impact, right? So some people like to measure the amount, the, the proteins in your blood. Some people like to measure the RNAs. Some people like to measure, you know, the, the sort of macrophysical. Some people are imaging the brain. And, and so, so one question is kind of the, what, at what microscope setting on what system are you looking? And then, and then the other is, is what types of environmental factors you think are important? Is it the amount of sunlight you get? Or is it the, the chemicals that you ingest? Or is it the microbes in the air? And, right. and, and so it becomes an extremely complex problem. And I think one of the, and I'd love to get your hypothesis on this because there's sort of almost an infinite number of inputs and an infinite number of outputs that you you could look at and so we're, we've got the search space mm -hmm. do you have a hypothesis on where to start so um <laughs> great questions well um first off what to measure and how to measure and how are we going to go about this um the uh the emergence in the past five or so years of true systems immunology Mm -hmm. is, is the place to start. Uh, uh, Mark Davis and the group out at Stanford have done uh, fantastic uh, uh, longitudinal studies and things like that. And of course, science is always driven by technology and the technologies that now exist to understand human immunology mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is really the key. And of course, what we're finding is we're not mice. And, but, and, and yeah. you're, you're, when you say understand, you mean understand what? Because I, cause one of the, cause I remember there was a funny story. I think it was a Drew Andy story, but I'm not positive about a biologist being asked, what do we understand about E. coli? And the biologist said everything. And then, then this, the, the genetic engineer said, what if you change this gene? They said, what happens? Well, we don't know that. So, <laughs> so it depends on what you mean by understand, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an excellent way to think about it. So, in other words, um, you know, what we're doing or what they're doing, uh, people who, who, who are doing these kinds of studies, basically are collecting data. What we can do now that we couldn't do before is measure many, many, many different things, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. um, the example being, um, Right now, what's our usual way to um, judge the integrity of our immune system? And uh, if you think about it, when you go for a checkup or whatever, what do you get? Well, basically, they do a white blood cell count. That started being used in 1918. Yeah. Or, you know, the big new improvement is complete blood cell count went into practice in 1959. Yeah. So... There's the gap that we have. Right. So it's right? like using the census as a measure of happiness. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just, you just, you know, like I say, it, because you can do these things now and you can look over time, right. you can start to develop hypotheses. I mean, you know, no. not knowing means 
not measuring yeah. uh, that any changes happen. So that's one thing. Again, the 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 CNS, uh, you know, it's a it's, it's a little harder, tougher. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I am hopeful that people know who know a lot more about it than I do right. are thinking about ways but, to. But it really is assess. probably just generally systems biology, right? Like taking as many different groups of people working on different systems, understanding their systems and then how they relate to everybody else's systems and trying to create better and better models of how we think these systems interact with each other. It's yeah. really kind of what we... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the disciplines of biology are like different religions, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, you need to bring them together, develop a common language, co mm -hmm. common access and things like this. Um, because I really believe that, um, well, you know, I, I am a believer that um, the microbiome um, is a drug. Mm -hmm. um, we, we know through our, our, our work at Puretech that what appears to be a video game can be a drug. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so... And, and you, when you say drug in this context, you're, you're basically, it's an intervention to try to cause is, an effect, right? It is an intervention that has a drug-like effect on some right. symptom. Right. Okay? So I think we're going to see so, more and more of the, I hope, yeah. that kind of thing. So, so, so let's walk through that. So, so let's say somebody has an irritable bowel, right? Mm -hmm. And you have that symptom and sign, and then you go in and you measure a bunch of their, their systems and you realize that there is a certain deficiency yeah. and you trace it back to the microbiome or the gut and you realize that the balance of mm -hmm. the bacteria in the gut is could be affected by the introduction of a microbe yeah. and that that microbe becomes the therapy rather than antibiotics to flush all the microbes or something to change the way that your body moves. Or <clears throat> giving high levels of anti-inflammatory drugs mm -hmm. uh, which have their own problems and right. things like that. And let's be clear, I, and I'm not saying that uh, just the microbiome itself will necessarily independently do all this, but it's some kind of combination of maybe different ways to think about delivering mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory things. But to get it back to the homeostatic mechanism, get those micro uh, certain strains back in mm -hmm. that give you the good outcome, mm -hmm. okay? mm -hmm. and probably change your diet and all kinds of other things. And, but and, and don't you think? I mean, it, it, to me, it feels like also. I mean, I used to run a, a, an organization called Creative Commons where we were working a lot on licenses, and sure. and I think one of the harder things is going to be to get all these people to share information with each other because to create the model. I mean, right now we have pharma companies that are working and spending billions of dollars on a single molecule. Yeah. But what you want is you need these complex models with hundreds of molecules and their interactions. And, and it's going to be, and, and academia also, we don't share. We publish two or three years after we've discovered something. Yes. And so, so, so how, do, you, do you have any ideas on how that might change? So, um, well, let me just say one thing about what to measure the, in, yeah, in the okay. environment. And... Um, there are, you know, as you say, innumerable things that might be, but there are people that have been thinking about this and mm -hmm. what they might want to see um, in, in terms of measurements. I think that uh, progress there, I, I'm willing to bet <clears throat> that it's the more passive ways to measure environment rather than the, you have to wear a helmet or you got to right. wear a watch or something. Um, I think that's going to be very helpful. Um, and 
in terms of how do you bring all this together? Well, it's something that I know the National Institute of uh, Environmental Health Sciences, mm -hmm. of course, should be and is interested mm -hmm, in. Mm -hmm. uh, and a program they started in 2016, I think, is ex exactly the right way to bring things together. First off, you give grants, mm -hmm. so there's money directed towards doing something. In this case, it is an evaluation of the environmental impact mm -hmm. uh, in child health. Mm -hmm. And they have a whole range of things right. that they're measuring. Mm -hmm. uh, but what they need is to have all the rest of this, mm -hmm. the immunology, the this, that, and the other thing, put on top of that. And, and so not only are they giving grants like that, they've done a very interesting thing. They actually have a series, I think it's like 16 laboratories that they are funding and have set up that are actually um, resource sites for people interested in this and they help them think about how to design studies and, and things like this. So if you put this then and you think about all the value that longitudinal studies have given us, whether mm -hmm. it's twins or Framingham or whatever, mm -hmm. this is the beginning, I think, of exactly mm -hmm. how to do it because you start with kids and again, it's mm -hmm. you, you follow them and you put the technology there, you get everybody to um, work as best they can together because mm -hmm. they're funded together mm -hmm. um, and then hopefully mm -hmm. we will benefit. And we're going to wrap up in a second, but I and I know Daphne would be upset if we didn't mention our work a little bit. I mean, I I, I do think though that one of the things is learning through doing, right? Yes. And I think we have a number of companies now trying to apply some of these ideas on trying to figure out ways to uh, intervene um, in systems. And and you know, I think the cool thing about PureTech is that we're sort of half embedded in the academic community, so we get to see the work before it's published. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like a startup to get people that wouldn't normally share to share. So sort of, I think, kind of weirdly, I think academia should be more open. But weirdly, I think that the sort of uh, for-profits can bring people together in an interesting way. And so, so I think that, I think, you know, to me, what we're trying to do at PureTech, and I'm gl glad that we, we got, it's, it's fun doing these lives because we get to catch up on thoughts. But I mean, I think it's, it, the, the important thing is how does, to me, how do we bring this academic work, um, this government funding, and then build uh, therapeutics that we can test and also uh, diagnostics and then learn from those tests. Yes. Um, and it's the sort of relationship between the research and the deployment, I think, mm -hmm. which I think used to be mainly big pharma, but yes. now I think is happening more and more in, in, in startups and things like that. So, Well, especially when you're on the cutting edge of it where, you know, small molecules and biologics and, you know, when it starts to be the microbiome is, is the drug, if yeah. you will. I don't think big pharma is going to do that. Yeah, so it yeah. has it has to be companies like PureTech that, yeah. that drive this. Cool. It's so much fun. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate My pleasure. It.